Hello, folks. Welcome to episode seven of Music Nerds Unite. This is Matt coming in from Boston, and uh, Scott's down on Long Island uh, taking a sip of is that wine you got there, Scott? It is, yes. My uh, typical drink during these things. There you go. Moderation, though. Moderation. I'm not necessarily practicing moderation, but we are locked down. There is nowhere to go, nowhere to be. But right here in the Sweet 16, um, it's been a very interesting competition so far. I'm going to take a little sip of my beverage. And we are looking at the 60s Sweet 16 bracket, the number one seed Beatles versus the number four seed, the Rolling Stones. What do you think, Scott? This is that age-old debate, right? I mean, has there been a more debated topic in rock and roll than Beatles versus Stones over the years, right? I think there's even book from about this. You know, uh, again, like, there's all, they've always been pitted against each other when they were kind of, it was a friendly rivalry, though. I mean, it's, the Beatles even gave them a, stong, a song, right? Uh, I Want to Be Your Man, right? I mean, not yep. a great Song is John Lennon was quick to point out. You know, it's not like you know we gave them a Jude or anything. You know? <laughs> <laughs> you know? But uh, very, you know, image-wise, they they appealed to different people, right? And the, the image was just that—an image. It wasn't really reality. You know, the Rolling Stones. You know, they weren't the best-looking group of guys. They were the, you know, the the thugs, right? You know, that that's how I. Their manager, Andrew Lou Goldham, you know, basically crafted this image. I mean, they kicked out Ian Stewart from the band because he didn't look the part. He was too old, you know. And, uh, you know, they, you know, they took out Ed, would you marry a Rolling Stone or something like that, from what I recall. And uh, so they, they, you know, they, it was a very deliberate image thing where the Beatles were the clean-cut mop tops. You could bring them home to mom, and they were cuddly and cute. And they had charisma, whereas the Rolling Stones were dangerous. The, so it was that light versus the dark side. But again, you know, it wasn't really reality. The Rolling Stones, you know, they had art school backgrounds. They didn't grow up, uh, you know, uh, on the poor side of the tracks. It was, it was, it was crafted uh, a manufactured image that was crafted by uh, by their manager, who was, you know, a sharp guy, and uh, it kind of carried throughout their career. I mean, they, they were bad boys to a degree, you know, uh, Keith Richards, obviously, with, with all the drugs and, you know, obviously Mick with the jet setting crew, you know, crew that he, he fell in with later on. Now, I want to talk about the early years because people don't realize, oh, some people don't realize, a lot of people do, but, you know, the, originally it was Brian Jones's band, the guitar player. And, you know, he was usurped later on by Jagger Richards, who were the songwriters and became the frontman of the band. But, he does a lot, does, deserves a lot of credit. He was kind of the jack of all trades, could play any stringed instrument, gave them a lot of the exotic sounds that you heard on songs like Painted Black, Lady Jane, you know, things like that. He was uh, the trippiest one too, right? Trippiest, yeah. He was like, you know, the Monterey Pop Festival. He was like the king, you know, if you, if you saw any of that footage. And anyway, uh, you know, and later on, I want to give credit to, you know, we talked about Mick Taylor as well, Charlie Watts steady as they come on the drums obviously was uh you know great at the riffs and the rhythm guitar not your traditional lead guitar player but he, you know he proved he could play lead to on you know albums like let it lead where he was really the only guitar player and came through with some great stuff uh but uh you know obviously bill wyman rock solid bass player 
Dow Jones has been in the band for how long and he's still not an official member. I, 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 I never understood that, you know, and, and even Ron Wood was like contracted for years uh, before they, uh, you know, made him an official member. You know, a lot of people don't realize that. Also about the Stones, they had a ton of people helping them out. Whereas like the Beatles, were, you know, like Led Zeppelin was, for example, was very self-contained, very few outside influences. The Beatles had Nicky Hopkins, you know, playing piano. They had, you know, uh, Bobby Keys playing the saxophone, Ian Stewart also playing the, the boogie piano and uh, Mary Clayton, right? The vocal on Gimme Shelter, right? I mean, that's an all-time great lead vocal there. Uh, she totally stole the show on um, what many consider their greatest song. Um, you know, Jimmy Miller producing, uh, uh, you know, they had a whole bunch of others who I'm failing to remember. Ry Cooter was another one. Uh, so the Stones had a ton of top stuff, you know, for a long time. And uh, their prime period is, is right up there with anybody. They're certainly one of the all-time great bands. But, you know, I, the Beatles led and they followed, you know, let's be honest, you know, and, and John Lennon was, was definitely pointed this out, you know, he's like, you know, everything we do, they do right after. He kind of, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, the Stones were probably a better live band, you know, but the Beatles, it's hard to really judge them in that regard. Cause, you know, with all the screaming, uh, girls and, uh, them retiring after 65, I believe to focus on the studio albums, but what studio albums, you know, they, uh, you know, Rubber Soul, Revolver, Sgt. Pepper was like the ultimate event. It kind of was a cultural touchstone, right? That made rock music respectable almost, right? Before it was considered this fad, you know, and then after that it was serious art, you know? And uh, you're talking about some of the, you know, as great as Richards and, and Jagger are, the greatest songwriting team of all time is Lennon McCartney. And oh. they were two of the greatest singers of all time also. You had Ringo, who's a very good drummer, just like Watts, kind of underrated, although, you know, he's obviously was very lucky to be in that band, you know, given who he was in it with, because George was also a talented songwriter and guitar player, and Ringo really, you know, didn't bring that to the table, beyond much to the table, beyond his drumming and the occasional vocal, right? You know, the Ringo song was typically the, the levity, right? That was the, the light kind of throwaway track, you know? Although, you know, with a little help from my friends, I guess is a classic, although even more so by Joe Cocker, I would say. Oh, yeah. yeah. So, you know, this is uh, the Beatles. You know, they had so much charisma. They, they took rock to a, to a new place with the, the productions, with George Martin deserves a lot of credit, and Joff Emmerich, their engineer. You know, they, the sounds that they came up with were really defined their times. Very, they get into the folk and then the, the, the Indian music with George Harrison and the sitars and, and very psychedelic, right? Then they, in, they discover Bob Dylan and all of a sudden the lyrics became much more uh, impressive and deep with songs like Yesterday, Eleanor Rigby, things like that. Uh, you know, John had, you know, he was the edgier guy, right? Paul was the melody writer, but they really, you know, together they brought out the best in each other in a way I don't think they did uh, subsequently, although I know you love their solo work too, and I do too. It, I just don't put it quite at that level as with the Beatles because like any great band, the, the band is, you know, they're greater than the sum of their individual parts. So although the Stones are, in my opinion, a top five band of all time, they're, they're way up there. 
And, you know, the Beatles also knew when to break up. You know, the, they broke up in their prime, essentially. They were still great. You know, their last albums were Abbey Road and, you know, Let It Be, you know. And they had so much more to give, whereas the Stones kind of, you know, they, they kept making some good albums later on, you know, in, in the late 70s, early 80s. But, you know, it was kind of going through the motions. Release an album, have a massive skin tour, make millions and millions of dollars, disappear for five years, repeat, you know. So I, I think them sticking around past their prime kind of hurts their legacy a little bit also. Although, you know, as we mentioned before, bands are basically mostly judged on their best work. And even then, the best work of the Beatles is, uh, to me, superior overall. So I'm, I'm, I've always been a Beatles guy as much as I love the Stones. So to me, the Beatles got to move on. I um, tip my cap to the Beatles. They, they will move on here. Um, but if this is the last time in this tournament we're going to talk about the Stones, then I do have a thing or two to say. Um, I've always fancied myself a bit of a rougher guy, I guess, though I'm clearly not. Um, however, I think that's gravitated. I've always had a little more of an ear for the Stones. Um, I think there's a kind of a what if about them because it could have had a, there could have been a whole nother decade worth of output that's entirely different if Brian Jones didn't his demise uh, earlier on. Um, I don't know, you know, um, there is a, there's a, there's an odd what if about them. Um, I think their best period was actually after that with Nick Taylor, personally. Yeah, no, and that's the thing. Like, it didn't knock them by any means. They didn't take a step back, but... Well, the guy they got was a virtuoso, the best guitar player they ever had. So. But my question is, where else would it have gone? It would have gone somewhere entirely different. You know? Right, it would have, yeah. Yeah, so like we could have, they could have turned into Pink Floyd. I don't, you know what I mean? Like, like there's... <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure they wouldn't have done that. But. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. In fact, not many bands can. But I do also want to call out their solo records kind of suck, like almost all of them, whereas the Beatles have a lot to go by in that. I lost all respect for Rolling Stone when they gave a Mick Jagger solo album five stars. I, I yeah, yeah. Was that what, She's the Boss? <laughs> it was Goddess in the do Doorway, which... I remember Keith Richards called it dog shit in the doorway. He's <laughs> not very good without me. <laughs> yeah. And then well, I will say, I mean, I, I gravitated towards Keith. I, I liked the swagger and the, and the style. And, and uh, as far as solo stuff, I actually just uncovered an old hard drive that I was able to obtain a lot of nefarious music. Um, a lot of bootlegs, a lot of random stuff. And there's some Stone stuff on here that you can't just pull up on Spotify. Um, there's also some, uh, when Jagger was in Jamaica, I think we've talked about this, but I actually found my hard drive that has the Wingless Angels record on it. And it's really just, not Jagger, Richards, just Richards in a room with a bunch of Jamaican dudes, just kind of, you can tell they're just having a good time. They're singing. He's playing a little, but it's it's got a vibe. And I do think that the Stones have a vibe. It's obviously that record, but I think that carries out that uh, there's That's something to be said for them. What's that? X on Main Street, for example, is a total vibe record. You know? Oh yes. Um, 
that's actually a, probably my next. We talked about pilgrimages, um, the French Riviera or like the, the yeah. area in France. That's, I mean, we want to go to different parts of France, but that's on my list yeah. just to kind of be yeah. with uh, Tax Exile. So they recorded that in some dingy basement in France and uh, it's got a real grungy sound because of that. And uh, it's got a lot of great songs too, but. To me, that album is really, a, you know, as much about the sound as the songs. Yep, and the swagger to all of those. That's yeah. the horn section, to your point, that they really relied on other people. Like, the horn section on that record in in itself is quite good. Yeah. Rocks well, off. Bobby Keys, you know, and, uh, you know, Billy Preston is another one who played with them, you know, and the Beatles. So he was the fifth Beatle, right? And they'll let it mm-hmm. be uh, and he had a real earthy, soulful keyboard sound, you know. And uh, yeah, they they uh, they were a corporation at some point to an extent, you know. But hey, if you if you could afford the best and brightest, why not? Go ahead. Not? Yeah. <laughs> hey, I wish I was uh, good enough at trumpet or sax to get flown to France to hang out with Mick yes. for a minute, right? Absolutely. <laughs> on a personal note, my wife has always been more of a, you know, big, more of a Stones fan and always would say, oh, I don't like the Beatles. But always, like, songs would come up and she'd be like, oh, I like this song. I'm like, of oh, course. it's the Beatles. Of and course. after a while, like, I'm like, admit it, you like the Beatles. You know? <laughs> but she definitely prefers the Stones. And on both bands, there's a level of experimentation studio-wise or recording-wise. I think it's more out there in the Beatles. Um, you don't necessarily think about it, but they're literally the first people to have made a sound in that way. Um, especially like with the White Album and what the Beatles did um, with their production and the way they would set a microphone up and spin it around like to give a certain effect, even on Revolver and stuff. Like These are things that are innovative. What's that? Yeah, they would play with the tapes, and they used the studio as an instrument, which really hadn't been done to that extent. Yeah, you know? there's an innovation in it. Quite like that. Really. No, no, but then there's little bits and pieces, like I think on uh, Satisfaction, the riff was like played through a tape recorder or something. Like it's like you couldn't even capture that today. Well, look at the choir on You Can't Always Get What You Want, right? Yeah. It's a good example. Yeah, and these are things that just couldn't be recreated or you'd have to be completely of a different mindset to create. And the Stones, you know, they started as a blues band, but, you know, they were a good country band also, which, uh, you know, they were good friends with O'Keefe, especially with Graham Parsons, and, uh, you know, he influenced their sound. So, you know, they, I think they're also more versatile than people give them credit for, you know, because they had that coarse, stone swagger sound you know but they uh you know they had a lot of good ballads as well so i mean yeah the stone i i can't really knock the stones it's just the beatles are the beatles for a reason you know the beatles are over and they will be the first team in the elite eight and it would be their conference or bracket or division region they'd be in the finals for the 60s and they'll be facing off against the winner of this next matchup bob dylan number three the Who, number seven. It's a tough matchup. Um, you know, I've, I've kind of spoken already how much I love The Who, that reckless energy, the great songwriting of Pete Townsend, how each guy was just so good at what they did, so many classic songs. But I think their prime was more condensed, you know. You had, uh, you know, they didn't have the comebacks that Dylan had, you know. 
And they overall just don't have the quantity of songs that Dylan has. I mean, Dylan is still these bootleg albums. He's still like coming out with these unreleased songs from like whenever that are and that are really good a lot, you know? He just seems to have an endless treasure trove of, of really good material. And, you know, The Who, I'd say, was maybe the greatest live band ever. And I, I do believe they were. You know, they, they pioneered the whole uh, just breaking shit up, you know, and going crazy. And, uh, you know, they... But Dylan had some classic live stuff, too. You know, like, you know, with the band, right? And the Rolling Thunder review in 75. You know, these were legendary tours also. Again, with the band in, in 74, I think. Uh, so, but, you know... It, just Bob Dylan, you know, if you compare him versus Pete Townsend as a songwriter, right? Just the quality is amazing on both, but the quantity in Dylan, I think, is 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 significantly more, right? Um, and uh, you know, Dylan set the bar as a lyricist. We talked about how Jimi Hendrix was the you know the greatest guitar player. Many would say Dylan was the greatest lyricist. He set a new standard. Uh, that really changed the game, you know? It changed everything. Bands like the Beatles, they just said, hey, this is what we gotta be doing now. You know, this guy, this is what we should be writing about, stuff like this. Not she loves you, yeah, 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 you know? So I think culturally, I think even Townsend himself said that Bob Dylan is like the fulcrum of modern music, I think was his quote. So I don't think he would disagree with us. you know, so uh, The Who is a legendary band. They have these anthemic songs that you, you're going to hear at stadiums and on classic rock radio for the end of time. Bob O'Reilly, you know, Won't Fit Get Fooled Again, Love Rain On Me, Who Are You, you know, My Generation. These are anthems that, that will endure, you know. The, the Who are legends for a reason. And, uh, you know, so no disrespect to them, but Bob Dylan, is is to me like right there with the Beatles as far as in terms of overall impact and cultural influence and and just the guy wrote a ton a ton of great tunes maybe he wasn't the best singer but he kind of it kind of worked for him at least for me it does you know it, it, it emotionally it worked you know I think especially on the the ballads you know and uh, you know like like the Stones he had a lot of really good guys helping him out. Like we mentioned Al Cooper and Michael Bloomfield and some good bands over the years. And, you know, when, you, when you're Bob Dylan, you attract top talent, you know, and he took advantage of that as well. And, uh, you know, ultimately, you know, I, I think his songwriting is really what, what puts them into the next round. So I would go with Bob Dylan. Yeah, I, I think Dylan's got to go over here. Um, I love them both. I love Dylan a little bit more. Who definitely better live act, um, especially today. Uh, I think if you saw Dylan tonight and the Who tomorrow, I mean, you'd want your money back from one probably, uh, and it wouldn't be the Who. Um, but I mean, there's still something to be said for the fact that he's doing it and that he did it just for so long. The never-ending tour, they called it. They yep. still, call it. you know, he's basically been touring nonstop for. I don't even know how long, 20 years now, maybe longer. I think it might be long. I don't even know. I mean, obviously he's shut down right now, but, uh, you know. Now, is that before the flood? There was, there's a live record with him and Dylan and uh, Dylan in the band. In the band. uh, I remember. I mentioned the 74 tour. That that was the. Yeah. 
I hunted that down, or I didn't hunt it down. It just happened to be the only thing that was around in the band section when I was buying CDs one day. Yeah. Um, as a, as a, maybe like 13, 14. Um, it was good. Um, yeah. I, yeah, I had that album. Absolutely. And obviously he played at the last waltz as well. Was a yeah, big I mean, the last waltz and then, uh, you know, the whole play it fucking loud, or the Judas shit, you know. <laughs> I don't know if that's the band, but that's certainly Dylan. No, at a, yeah, yeah, at a live peak. Um, and he's had a couple of those. Uh, one of the first records I remember listening to is Dylan and the Dead. Not, a peak, not a peak for either band. Uh, Dylan and the Dead, uh, the live, I think in the 80s, Dylan and the Grateful Dead toured together. But, yeah, like, yeah, Dylan and the Dead, means, but that was a down period of, in general. Right? I'm not sure if it was 89, but it was late 80s, like you said, uh, before he had his comeback, I think, you know, yeah. the first any comeback. But then in his book, he kind of writes about that or like coming up with new ways to feel the songs and stuff. So I do think that yeah. it, as much as it might have sucked, it's beneficial to what came after, you know, some of the rest. He was a big fan of the dead, actually, and Garcia in particular. And yeah, he, he's one of those guys who, yeah, he, he kind of played, you know, you may hear Rolling, like a Rolling Stone one way tonight. Tomorrow it's probably going to be different. And the night after that, it'll be different from that. Yeah. Yep. And I don't know that just all those offshoots and all that, like the who is, I just don't think they're as flexible, capable in all of those things. You can go a million places when you say Bob Dylan. I don't know that you can go all those places when you say the who. So he moves on and he'll have a lot to say for himself uh, against the Beatles. That's going to be the first Elite Eight matchup in the 60s. We'll leave Pair of heavyweights. Pair of heavyweights. We'll leave that to the next uh, episode, but we'll travel to the 70s now. The Sweet 16 brackets got number one seed Led Zeppelin uh, against number two, oh, sorry, number four seed Neil Young. Yeah, when we talk about Neil Young, I think we're also talking about Buffalo Springfield, Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young, as well as Neil Young's varied solo career with many bands as well obviously most prominent being crazy horse but you had the stray gators he even made a really underrated album with pearl jam you know neil young is a total legend he's uh he's done it a long time he's had like i think i mentioned before i think he had two really sustained peaks in the 70s and then late 80s to mid 90s and he's done some decent stuff uh you know thereafter like psychedelic pill just a few years ago, I thought it was a really strong comeback album with, with Crazy Horse. You know, he's but mostly he's good at the rockers, you know, the guitar epics, Down by the River, Like a Hurricane, Cortez the Killer, you know, uh, Cowgirl in the Sand, Southern Man, those kind of things. And then you have the acoustic stuff, the countryish stuff, Old Man, Heart of Gold, After the Gold Rush, those kind of songs, Harvest Moon. And those are where he excels the most. You know, he's... We talked about, you know, Harvest, and then it made successful, and then he went to head for the ditch and made uncommercial records that we love that are actually great records, even though they didn't sell, they were critically acclaimed. And you got to really respect the guy who's, who really could have been commercially bigger by making music he didn't believe in, who kind of followed his muse to make deliberately less commercial music uh, because that's where his art took him, 
and uh, I definitely respect that. The fact that they made great albums anyway while doing that is very hard to do and shows his greatness. But uh, but Led Zeppelin, to me, you know, they own the 70s, man. When we talk about, you know, a particular decade, although we're, we're not just including the 70s when we talk about these artists, uh, you know, you know, they started out as a heavily amped blues band, the heaviest band of that era, blowing bands off the stage and just ruining bands like Iron Butterfly and Vanilla Fudge. And like, you know, and there was just a certain primal, you know, uh, aspect to what they did with Robert Plant's vocals and, you know, the guitar and uh, Bonham was just such a force of nature, you know. But they also had these great acoustic songs and they delved into this Eastern mysticism and folk songs and they could do it all, you know? And we kind of touched on the plagiarism aspect and yeah, they deserve to be hammered for that. But, you know, they're not alone there either, you know? Uh, Bob Dylan Bob Dylan took folk songs and old, you know, folk songs, traditional songs and wrote new lyrics to them. Ray Charles took old gospel songs and wrote new lyrics to them. You know, the Rolling Stones ripped off their own bandmates and, you know, guys like Ry Cooter and, and Graham Parsons, you know, and uh, George Harrison was sued, successfully sued by the Chiffons for plagiarizing My Sweet Lord. John Lennon recorded a whole album of cover songs because he owed it to a guy who he allegedly ripped yep. off Chuck Berry songs. So, <laughs> like, you know, they're not alone there, you know. It's that record's great. <laughs> yeah. It's regrettable, but, you know, you know, they, I think, get the brunt of it more than anybody, you know? And uh, like I said, Whole Lot of Love isn't a great song because they ripped off a few lyrics, you know? It's all about that sound and that primal energy and those riffs. And, and we talk about the experimentation. How about the middle of that song, right? It's just using that studio. And Paige is very underrated as a producer. And... Uh, John Paul Jones, very underrated as an arranger and, and a keyboard player as well as a great bass player. And they just, you know, they, their first six albums are all terrific. I mean, phenomenal. You know, Led Zeppelin Four is so iconic, right? That, you know, but um, amazingly enough, that's their, their one, their, my son is making shake. I was wondering what that noise was. Was, was the, that was actually the only album of those first six that wasn't a number one album. You know, it was it sold the most most of them, and it was their most iconic because of Stairway to Heaven. You know, but uh, you know that shows how big they were. When when Into the Outdoor came out in '79, when all these punk bands called them a dinosaur band and all of that, I think they had like five albums on the charts at the same time. Yeah. That shows how. So they were like, yeah, okay, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> like you guys will never be anywhere what we are. So so. Take your cheap shots. Go ahead. Um, you know, they were a phenomenal live band. They, they, you know, they could be a little indulgent live with, you know, 20, you know, half hour dazed and confused and, and all that. But, they, you know, if you listen to like How the West Was Won, that live album, the DVD that came out at that time, at their best, they were just phenomenal live as well. Um, unfortunately, they're, they're, you know, the song remains the same was their, you know, their, their first release live album and movie. And it really... It had its moments for sure, but it really didn't show them at their best at that time. Um, but yeah, Zap is, uh, to me, they're, they're as good as it gets. They uh, get the let out. We'll be getting the let out for, for many, many years, right? I mean, uh, 
they're just such a presence. I mean, honestly, I don't even need to listen to them anymore because they're just everywhere, even today. As much as I love them, it's like, you know, I don't need to listen to Led Zeppelin or any of those albums, really, uh, because I've just heard them so much over the years, even though when I do hear them, I still love them. You know, it, um, you know it's a little bit of listener fatigue, I guess, uh, on my part with, with them. But uh, they're still absolutely one of my all-time favorite bands, way up there. I, I think that uh, as much as Neil Young is phenomenal, he just doesn't cast that shadow that Led Zeppelin does, not to that degree. So to me, Led Zeppelin moves on. Yeah, and they do. Um, I think I probably listen to Neil more, but... I can't argue him over Zeppelin. I don't think he would. I'm glad you mentioned Psychedelic Pill. Uh, Ramada Inn is one of my favorite Neil Young songs. That is yeah, yeah, it's my favorite one from that. Yeah, epic. I, I love like a 14 minute song, not seem long. You know? No, and it like it's got the spacey parts, but then like this matter of fact vocal delivery, and and again he's like he's got his voice, but it's still like we talk about Bowie and Dylan, like like the best ones to do it, like they let their age into the song, and I think that's a great example of that. That's a, I like that. Yeah, but Zeppelin, I mean come on you know from the beastie boys from every hip-hop group drum <laughs> samples like bonham just rains i'm actually just looking up a couple of things i say out loud. yes oh, the, the hammer, hammer the gods was with the name of that their biography their, their most famous one that that to me sums up john bonham yes in a nutshell right and then i mean how the west was won that's the dvd and the live album right well, they're actually two separate things, but yeah, the album itself is how the West was won. The DVD is actually separate footage. Okay, but also, but also great. Yes, I worked at Tower Records in Massapequa at the time. Massapequa being a South Shore, Long Island place. I remember when that came out, and people lost their shit. Like, like it was a thing. I remember, yeah. you know, people like trying to get rung up and telling me about how, you know, they're going to go home. Like, like it was an event. So I'll even, tell you what was also an event is, and this was probably before your time or you were younger, but when their box set came out, you know, when box sets were big, theirs yeah. was a huge one because it, it had markedly better sound quality than what the prior uh, releases had. And it was a big deal, man. And even the and just the way they, you know, reorganized the songs. And so I remember listening to that in college just nonstop. You know, it was, it was again, it was an event, a, a really big deal. I don't know if this puts me, I, I mean, Houses of the Holy is the one I listen to. Um, I love I like it. To, I walk around with that. Um, I love how, like, out of place, but also perfect, like, Jamaica, do your maker, whatever the fuck is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> And it sounds like, you know, we talk about originality, right? Look at No Quarter, the Rain song. Yep. You know, Over the Hills and Far Away, man. Tell me another band that has, like, this. I can't say, who influenced those songs? I, I can't even say, you know? Yeah, no, that that record, for me, that's the one. Um, but then, you know, I also, 
you know, I've got plenty of ones for Neil, and I'm sure we could talk about them. We have talked about them, and we will continue to. But in this particular matchup, Zeppelin's over, and uh, I think it's time for uh, – I know it's a hard one for you. It's easy for me, but kind of going the other way. Uh, Van Morrison against Pink Floyd. Pink Floyd is the number two seed, and Van is in here at number 14. You could argue that Van was underseeded to begin with. Either way, he's punching above his weight class. Let's see how this. I'd say Van is underseeded if you if you talk about album sales, not in terms of respect and uh, from musicians and and really hardcore fans and and critics and, and whatnot. You know, uh, and people uh, he has a lot more big songs than people realize. Maybe not hits, but. Uh, you know, he put on his greatest hits album, and you'll, you'll, you know, if you if you're not familiar with Van, there's probably quite a few songs there that, oh yeah, he sang that, oh yeah, you know, but you know, his his legacy is to me one of the greatest singers ever, uh, another great songwriter, great lyricist. Uh, he had his own thing; he was essentially a genre into himself, right? I mean, what album sounds like Astral Weeks or? Or, or being in fleece, you know, these are just these, you know, I use the same words every time I talk about them, but these mystical, magical kind of albums, you know, they, they transport you, you know, and, uh, you know, I, I think, you know, he, I think he's hurt himself a little bit by almost being overly, over prolific in the subsequent year. Oh, another band album out, no big deal. He kind of comes and goes and he's not really relevant anymore. He's still... You know, I saw him live. I got to say, it was disappointing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he, he, he churns them out. And I'm sure there's good stuff there. But it's, you know, like you said, Pink Floyd came out with a like a mostly instrumental album that was an afterthought a few years ago, and it was the number one record, you know? So, like, you talk about, you know, the Roger Waters left the band, and they were still selling out stadiums, you know? And, and I just think that their prime period is, you know, the that run they had, say, from metal through the wall. I mean, that is, you know, metal, dark side of the moon, obscured by clouds, maybe not quite at that level, but then you had Wish You Were Here, Animals, The Wall. We talked about how the even the final cut is under, going back to the barrier, you know, so as, you know, I'm mentioning albums because they were such an album-oriented band, right? And, uh, you know, they owned the 70s to an extent also with their stage shows, the inflatable pigs, and, and their artwork, right? It was always cool, cutting-edge stuff. Uh, the stoners loved them. You had the wall movie, right? I mean, you know, everybody, you know, would, would like, go see it every Saturday at midnight, you know? You know, that kind of thing, like the Rocky Horror Picture, picture Show. Um, you know, so they definitely had more of a pop culture impact, uh, I think, overall. The body work is just a little bit stronger also. Um, you know, Roger Waters, very, a great lyricist, very underrated in that regard, a great conceptualist, uh, you know, with the concept albums as well. David Gilmore, one of the all-time great guitarists, you know, how many classic solos does he have? And, and also their voices blended together very well between, you know, Gilmore, the smooth voice, Waters, that kind of, hysterical whine almost that he had you know in, in the wall and then you know richard wright very underrated part too another good singer keyboard player nick mason nothing fancy but perfect drummer for the band you know it just fit everything they did just fit you know was which is why when waters left 
you know, it, it, the train kept rolling, you know, because no one guy was above the white brand. And uh, you could say maybe it's because they were faceless to a degree. They lacked the charisma of a Zeppelin or a Stones, you know, individually. But again, they were, they were the, a band greater than the sum of their parts. And uh, what they came up with was uh, cutting edge then. It still sounds great. So even though Van the Man is personally one of my all-time favorites, uh, he has, I'd say, maybe five or so albums in my top hundred of all time. That's how much I love the guy. Uh, and those five I'll name, uh, you know, maybe not hundred, but top 200, Astral Weeks, Moondance, St. Dominic's Preview, Beaten and Fleets, Into the Music. He has other good albums that are very good as well, like uh, Tupelo Honey. Um, so just Van is, Van is amazing. Pink Floyd to me is uh it's got to move on though which sets up the uh the predicted by me anyway uh zeppelin floyd showdown uh, yeah floyd advances um i don't know i think there's another bracket where we married it in something different and it automatically goes to van you know i i feel like depending on what you what criteria and metric i think there's a conversation for van to to you know finish in third place in this whole thing. Um, but this one is just, it, 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 we're talking about popularity, we're talking about albums, we're talking about time span and just overall scope. And you can't argue against Pink Floyd. And I agree with what you say about Van, how he, he really deserves that kind of stature. And I don't think he gets it, you know, uh, either because people don't know him as well. But like I said, he to me, he, he belongs right up there with Bowie, Dylan, Elvis, any other soul, Bruce, any other soul guy, you can, I just think he's a little bit more under the radar than those guys, you know? But yeah, still, Pink Floyd is uh, a colossus, you know, they, they, they advance. You could argue he's a purer version of even Bob Dylan, you know? Like, when you say pure, as far as, like, commercial or whatever. Well, yeah. I mean, he could be commercial, too. Look, his, look his most famous song, Brown Eyed Girl, is very commercial, but you know, if, if you ask Van, that's probably like his least favorite song. Like he did it, you know, yeah, it pays the bills, but you know, that's not where his heart was truly at, you know? Sure. It's still a great song. It is it's a great song, absolutely. Well, Pink Floyd advances. That sets up a Led Zeppelin, Pink Floyd, number one against number two. And that rounds out the 60s and 70s, Sweet 16. That brings us to the 80s. We have number one CDU two against number thirteen Iron Maiden, and then on the bottom we've got Rush against REM. But first, U two Maiden. These are two of my all-time favorite bands. I think U two advances because we're talking about one of the biggest and best bands ever versus one of the biggest and best metal bands ever. So it's more restricted, right? And as much as I love Maiden, they, you know, what they do is, is limited to that genre, right? Whereas you 2 could kind of do anything. Although, they, you know, they have their signature sound for sure. But if you compare War to The Unforgettable Fire, to Octung Baby, for example, three of their best albums, the sound is very different on those. And you could say, hey, they were much different with Deano. Then Dickinson, then then maybe some of their later stuff as well, right? Like Seventh Son, which was more like the gothic sound and the concept albums. 
but it's still a much narrower terrain overall. So even though I love Maiden, they're one of the greatest bands ever, in my opinion. They're still bringing it. You know, to a degree, I don't think U2 is anymore. Although U2, you know, I'll, I'll give them a pass to an extent, similar to what you would do for the Rolling Stones at this point. You know, they're, uh, again, they're like the Stones. They, they roll out that product every five years for the massive tour that, that fills their bank accounts and disappear for, for a while hit repeat but you know they had a phenomenal 25 i'd say year run of consistent excellence pushing the envelope throughout having massive massive success both on the album and singles charts you know in a way that so they, they just were omnipresent and they were the biggest band in the world for how many years maiden never had that stature i mean they did in their genre maybe but uh that's why I think as much as I love me and you too, uh, definitely uh, is the right call here. Yeah, I, um, I'm not a metal head. I, I don't have as much to say about Metallica, Maiden, that ilk. Um, I do believe there's something to be said for Maiden getting this far. I can't really see them getting any further here. You uh, too. You know, I, I also, while Maiden might deliver live better in a, in a time frame, I, I do think you 2 could also hold up at, at various points of their career. Maybe not so much right now, but Maiden's just style makes for a better show regardless. Yeah, I mean, I think you could say Peak U2 is one of the all-time great live bands for sure. I mean, just look at Live Aid, right? Live Aid, the Sunday Bloody Sunday at Red Rocks video. Yeah, uh, I mean that is just striking. Under a blood red sky, that that whole live that live album. Yeah. Yep. Live is, bad, right? On the Wide Awake in America. What a version that is, right? That is incredible. That that's U two to me. You, you know. Um, so yeah, U two advances, and we'll have more on them uh, in their next matchup. They're going to square off against the winner of this i don't even know what's going to happen right now we've got rush at number who cares what number they were ranked they're here and they're squaring off against the number two seed rem rush were pretty low i think number 14 14 yeah maybe underseeded but uh this is a tough one for me personally because i think they're both like towards the top of their particular what they do you know uh which and what they do is very different we've kind of talked about them both already um so i think i'm going to try to keep this short um rem i think advances because of the versatility and the consistency i think uh you know they they do a little bit more different things you compare murmur to automatic for the people and if they're vastly different right and uh rush although they they certainly changed a lot over the years you know they i don't think quite to that extent and and i think they had you know they had a lot of great albums but they had more periods of uh you know maybe not quite as stellar work you know rem really from i'd say murmur in what 83 through i would put it through new adventures in high five when bill berry left you know, of, you know, that is, you know, 13 years, very prolific years where they were coming out with an album every year, every other year. 
and uh, kept evolving. And so Rush was, was great at what they did. They evolved as well. They, they went from kind of this really progressive band and this heavy metal kind of band almost to a more commercial band like a lot of bands did in the 80s and, and maintain, you know, hit their peak really with that style and then went more into the synthesizers. But I think they kind of lost their way a little bit during that era in a way R.E.M. didn't really. Although, you know, after Barry left, maybe not quite as good. But, you know, still they never embarrassed themselves. Not that Rush ever did. But I think overall, you know, R.E.M. was just a little bit more consistent, a little bit more versatile. So although Rush is an all-time legendary band and among the best progressive rock bands of all time. For me personally, it's this close and I'm holding my fingers very close. If you can't see, I don't know if we're making this, uh, I think it's going to be an audio only podcast. So, uh, you know, it's going to be a close win for REM. And I know my friend Matt over here does not have it quite as close and, but feels the same way. Well, so Scott, for for anybody that that wants a de- depiction, you know, when you hold your thumb and pointer uh, very close together, that's what we're talking about. It's this close, skin of your teeth, uh, strand of hair, you know. Uh, the, we're we're talking tight. I think you spoke more ill of Rush than you had to, just to get REM over them, Scott. I, I mean, I don't think. <laughs> I don't. I, I think it doesn't necessarily come down to anything that REM even has over Rush. I think there's one piece, and it's come up with other matchups, so it would have to follow suit here. REM, for their career, were a niche, niche, or kind of genre indie thing, but they glimpsed into maybe they weren't, but they were in the argument for biggest band in the world, the way U2 was for years. I, I think yeah. there are periods of REM's history, however brief, where they were there. Because of the nature of Prague and, and Rush, like as big as Rush's were, I don't know that they met, even though a little smaller, the REM Thank you. Yeah, I agree with that, actually. And I think Rush even called themselves the world's biggest cult band. <laughs> yeah, it's true to an extent. And uh, maybe I was critical of Rush. I, I certainly didn't mean to be because they are one of my favorite bands. Uh, you know, I guess I, I went you know the other way to, to kind of make the case for R.E.M. But uh, yeah. both phenomenal bands. It's a tough call. But I, I think what the point you made is really all that needs to be said, you know, as far as why they're advancing. Yeah, you know, I I think they made their way into more of the common person's consciousness. Um, um, Popularity, through what people were interested in, it might not necessarily have anything to do with them themselves. It's just situation. Um, So REM advances, and that sets up a U2 REM matchup. I mean, for me, as a man, personally, like that might be... That might be the finals, like just for myself, like that matchup of what I came out of, what I've been into for the most. Um, and yeah, so that's going to be interesting. I, I, be. I don't even, I don't know what to think of that. I have my ideas, but I'll. I'm gonna... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll talk a little more next episode, but uh, brings us to the 90s. Um, Smashing Pumpkins. Uh, we're facing off against Soundgarden. The Pumpkins, a little bit of a Cinderella story. They were seated number nine 
Um, upset. Oh, I never. I never agreed with that seating, so. All right, but either way, either way, last round, they had an upset. They upset and, and upset. Nirvana was a big upset. I was actually oh. talking to my son about that before this, and he totally disagrees with me. Well. <laughs> but uh, he has a point. But, uh, and he's a big Pumpkins fan, too. Uh, you know, I would go with the same argument with that we that won them the battle over nirvana is just the quantity of material they have i think over soundgarden that uh you know top rate material uh you know i think if you listen to say lithium you know sirius xm's alternative radio station you're far more likely to hear the smashing pumpkins than soundgarden um you know they they kind of lasted a bit longer as big as soundgarden was at their heyday they were still probably the fourth biggest grunge band of the big four, right? Pumpkin and Pumpkins, I never really considered grunge, so I'm not including them there. But you had Nirvana, Pearl Jam, Alice in Chains, and then Soundgarden was really the first band to really come on the scene and the last one to really make it big. So as great as Cornell was and the overall band was too, all of them, um, you know, I don't think they dominated the 90s like like the Pumpkins did at their prime. You know, I'm talking Siamese Dream, Melancholy, and Infinite Sadness. They had, they were in that biggest band of the world discussion at the time. And yeah, maybe they kind of blew it or Corrigan kind of blew it to an extent afterwards. Although I think some of his subsequent stuff is, is undervalued. You know, he certainly, uh, you know, Soundgarden knew when to break up to their credit maybe they broke up too soon in fact because i really like their comeback album uh but you know overall again if i'm making a playlist of great soundgarden versus great pumpkin songs there's going to be a lot more pumpkin songs on it and overall they just again i talk about casting a shadow and uh they cast a wider shadow and uh had a bigger presence overall i think uh in their time yeah i think I'd agree. Like it kind of comes down to that shadow, that influence. The pumpkins just happen to have a little more of it um, over uh, Soundgarden. I think the argument can be made for certain Soundgarden records to be better in like a head-to-head, or maybe like 1997 or 2000. You know, um, but I think if you were to kind of notch up or um, in some way make a metric out of just pure songwriting i think the pumpkins i think they would come out ahead in every time yeah which is again not to denigrate soundgarden great band legendary band voice of a generation you know with cornell but uh you know definitely uh i feel pretty strongly that the pumpkins deserve to emerge from this battle and the final matchup in the sweet 16 Number three, Pearl Jam, against number two, Radiohead. Pair of heavyweights, right? They came around, up around the same time. Pearl Jam was a couple years earlier. Um, Pearl Jam definitely had the early lead, right? You know, those early albums were phenomenal. Great band. Really, the 90s, they, were, they really did one great album after another. Even the albums that at the time were not considered maybe as good, have kind of been validated over time. And I'm thinking No Code, you know, is a, a really good album. Uh, Vitalogy versus Tens, one of the all-time great debut albums. You know, great live band. You know, they, that's where they make their bread and butter these days. It's uh, 
kind of like a you almost have like a I won't say a fish like following, but it they almost you know they they have a huge live following. They never play the same shows, and they're kind of famous for that, and do a lot of great covers. And um, you know, Eddie Better, I think is everyone knows he's a great singer, but I think he's very underrated as a lyricist as well. And Mike McCready, great guitar player, had a slew of great drummers. The rhythm section in general is top notch. Uh, Stone Gossard was, you know, people forget he was really the main songwriter at first. You know, he's still a very important part of the band. So again, they, they were all just really great contributors to a great overall band. But when is the last time a Pearl Jam album an event, you know? Happened about uh, three weeks ago. <laughs> it was a minor, a minor event. Compared to like the Kid A, right? When that came out, it was a huge event. And then in Rainbows, right? That was that was another huge event. That was a game changer, right? The way it used the internet, pay what you want, you know, and uh, you know. So you know, I would say they remain relevant longer as far as really top tier relevance. You know, Pearl Jam is still relevant very much, but as far as what is their legacy, that and I think some I've mentioned some of their later albums, I think are very undervalued, but. Their, their legacy is mostly the 90s to most people, you know? And I think Radiohead, had, even their last album, Moonshape Pool, was a big deal. And, you know, you know, very high on those critic album of the year lists for that year, you know? And uh, Radiohead, they, you know, the versatility, certainly they win that argument and that the way they drastically just sound, maybe too much and maybe to the detriment some would say i personally feel they have great guitar players i wish they would play more guitar and less with the tinkering with the electronics you know mm -hmm. but, but they're so good at that too that you know whatever they do is really good usually um york is every bit the legendary vocalist that eddie vetter is you know in, in a totally different way uh you know like that falsetto like you said you know when when you know fake classic trees when when he hits those high notes you know those goosebumps come and the hair stands up and and you can't even help it you know it just happens you know they had that gift and uh i think radiohead is is kind of acknowledged by many people at this point it's kind of the best band of this modern era you know from a critical you know perspective certainly they've done that while still selling a lot of records maybe not like you two in their prime or and maybe not even as big as Coldplay, you know, as far as from a mainstream recognition uh, standpoint, you know, but uh, I, I think in terms of critical kudos, I don't think anyone really has kind of matched them in the, in the last couple decades. And uh, I think they just, they kept it together longer than Pearl Jam. I think their best albums overall, they have more classic, classic albums than Pearl Jam. And so to me, this is as much as Pearl Jam is a legendary all-time great band in their own right, first ballot Hall of Famers, as they should have been. Uh, to me, this is definitely Radiohead. Yeah, um, it's with a heavy head and a heavy heart. Um, Radiohead's got to go over. I mean, the creativity, the, the constantly pushing a variety of envelopes, it just... And doing it, like you said, Scott, at the level of in a managed, um, I, I think I could like 
throw out an argument like, well, Radiohead can't sell out Fenway Park, but they probably could, uh, you know, um, at this point. And even if they undersold it by 100 tickets, the fact that they're doing such a diverse base of music compared to Pearl Jam is, uh, it just goes in there. I don't know. I, I don't want to, I, I want to do a little Radiohead dumping on, but I think I want to wait till that's their final death knell. Um, I, I don't want to. <laughs> um, so instead of that, uh, I'm going to just kind of say that Pearl Jam, Pearl Jam is, is a definitely a personal all time. Uh, yeah, me too. Definitely. And, uh, yeah. I, I mean, we can talk more about them at, some other times, uh, but they, um, I don't know. Uh, it's going to be sad to see them. Ballads are underrated, right? We didn't really talk about that so much, right? Their ballads are real, really kind of a mole and get to you. At least sure. they get to me, you know? And you very sympathetically, like from a female perspective, which uh, he deserves credit for, and, you know, Better Man and Elderly Woman Behind the Counter, these songs are, and he's such a great storyteller, you know? I, I think that kind of, is is kind of underrated as far as what he brings to the table there. So no disrespect to Pearl Jam, they and they and you know we we talk about the biggest band in the world argument. Pearl Jam actually wins that argument because although it was brief, they arguably were the biggest band in the world when Versus came out. You know, uh, but you know they didn't sustain it like some of the other bands. And uh, you know, to me, the the track record of Radiohead is what what puts them over. Yeah, no, I, I think Radiohead and their their, their innovation, their, just their ability to do more than one or two things. Like Pearl Jam, you know, they, they've done interesting things, but never to the extent uh, that Radiohead has. Yeah, and if you you know if you look at any like greatest albums of all time list, you'll see ten maybe verses. Whereas Radiohead, they'll have OK Computer, they'll have Kid A, they'll have the Bend. In rainbows, even maybe even a moon-shaped pool, you know. So even maybe hell to the thief, or you know. So like they, they, you know, they just have that. Um, I do very much enjoy the hail to the thief and the the kind of the vocal approach that he brought. That the the record. Yeah. I keep a wolf at the door, and he's kind of. Says, oh, good album. I think that yeah. was their only album that kind of suffered from the era length or, or over length, I should say. You know, they've been very smart. And Pearl Jam has more so in recent years. They, the Pearl Jam had that issue as well with some of their albums, like Riot Act and... Uh, hey, you know. Foxy Mop Handle Mama, that's me, man. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, but is usually very smart. You know, they, you know, they hit 10, 11 songs, 45 minutes, and they, you know, it's just about right, you know? Whereas that album, I felt they, it could have been... Cut down a little bit, and it made would have been a little stronger. Although it was still really good, you know, that's the bar they set. That's that's why they're Radiohead. There you go, and that rounds out our uh, our Sweet Sixteen round. So the Elite Eight going to be uh, the Beatles against Bob Dylan for the '60s championship. Then we've got Led Zeppelin against Pink Floyd for the '70s championship. Then U2 versus R.E.M. for the 80s. And the Smashing Pumpkins against Radiohead for the 90s. Who will cut these nets down? We're going to find out on the next uh, episode. Music Nerds Unite. Thanks very much, folks.